Hello, and welcome to the She's Heard podcast. My name is Emily Jennings, and you found the place where extraordinary everyday people from different professions and walks of life share about how they found their voice and are using it to speak up and create meaningful change. Today, I'm speaking with the wise and insightful catalyst for change, Dr. Leslie Carr. Dr. Carr is a licensed clinical psychologist. She lives in San Francisco, and she offers psychotherapy and coaching in person, over the phone, and via Skype or FaceTime. Her primary expertise is in helping people to overcome internal obstacles so that they can then become the best possible version of themselves. She grew up on the East Coast in Westchester County, just north of Manhattan, with her parents and an older sister. She moved to San Francisco 11 years ago for better weather and a nudging from her soul to embark on the next adventure. She considers herself a California girl, but a New Yorker at heart. A little known fact about Dr. Carr is that she used to write and perform music in her 20s. In this episode, we talk about overcoming the fear of public speaking, overcoming fear of just speaking up in general, amongst many other things. So without further ado, here's our conversation. This is a fun moment for me because mm-hmm. about six years ago, it was in 2012, mm-hmm. I was in Moscow, Russia. And this was my hibernating dark night of the soul, reconstructing myself and who I am and what I want my life to be about, unpacking a lot of things. And you I was have in a dark, dark night of the soul. Yeah. Moscow is the place to have it. <laughs> it right? is. It's like no one could get a hold of me, right? And so I was filtering what was coming in as I was processing and reading. And at that time, I came across your TED Talk, Mm -hmm. and I was really moved by it because you were in a series of other women that I had read their books and had followed online, and I could tell that you weren't as comfortable in the limelight as some of the Mm -hmm. other women, Mm -hmm. but I really loved the content of what you were talking about, which was about the importance of psychological health. And what that meant to you. And I found a lot of hope in your talk. And then we kept, we crossed paths when I moved to San Francisco. And that was also at a really challenging time because I just moved here and I didn't know anybody. And to me, it felt like a wink from the universe to be like, Em, you're on the right track. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it really so, is a wild, small world. It is a small world. So, yeah. just, so now I'm here sitting and talking to you, which is just... It's awesome, and I'm really excited. I yeah. am so excited, too. Yeah. And yeah, the world works in uncanny ways, it does. doesn't it? It yeah. does. Yeah. yeah. This conversation, the intention of finding these conversations is about owning your voice. It's about learning to speak up. Honor your truth, whatever that yeah. looks like. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about a time that might have been difficult for you? Oh, yeah, I can think of so many. I mean, it's interesting. I'm so I'm so passionate about this content and subject matter. And was when you told me that you were up to this, I was just like, Oh, my God, hell, yes. Mm -hmm. And like the world needs to be speaking about this so much. And I think clearly, um, the way in which women's voices can be taken away from them and the ways in which they can reclaim their power has been a pretty hot topic for the past you know, year or so, year, year and a half, and... Um, well, since the Trump election, really. Totally. Yes, since 45, like, because of everything that it represents, and then the whole Me Too movement that came after it, and the Women's March, and, you know, so it, it's like... R.V. Weinstein yeah, and yeah. the Me Too saga, and, yeah, it yeah. is up. 
-hmm. And I definitely feel, I feel like we are uh, at a point of serious transformation regarding this issue. And I, you know, it's something that I'm passionate about because I see it in so many places. I see it in my, you know, individual client work. So many of the women that I work with, I think, struggle with this issue. And I certainly have struggled with this issue. So, you know, it's hard to even really know where to begin. I mean, I think one one thing that comes to mind for me really clearly, because it's a, it's a story that I've talked about enough before, that it's, it's it all kind of comes a little bit preloaded. But my experience of having given the TEDx talk that you referenced was pretty wild for me because it was the first time that I had ever been asked to speak publicly. It was the first time that I'd ever done something like that before. And, and you're kind of an introvert. Right? I am pretty introverted. I mean, yeah. it's interesting because I think that I... Or an I, ambivert. I, ambivert, I think, yeah. is the right word. Yeah. Ambivert is the right word. I think that I have introverted and I have extroverted qualities, but I do think that there's there's a part of me that is, you know, a little bit private, a little bit more comfortable in with smaller groups of people. As a therapist, I think there are some certain dispositional qualities that I have where it sometimes can be easier to listen than to be the one that's speaking. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy two-person conversations, like the one that we're having. Mm. Um, and I think that I also just, it's really hard to say what is true introversion and what is a matter of having been raised to, to a certain extent, be seen and not heard, right? Mm -hmm. So... When I was asked to give that TEDx talk, it was the first time that I ever really had to confront. I mean, it's funny because I I actually was a performing musician in my 20s, um, which is a sort of random detail of my life that at this point, not a lot of people even know. Um, but I had been a songwriter and a musician. I played the guitar and I sang. And I really, really, really loved songwriting, but performing publicly, having to get up in front of audiences and play was pretty nerve wracking for me. And it was something that I... When I first started, it was terrifying, and slowly but surely, it got easier. So it's not like I had never performed on a stage before. I mean, again, it's funny how we can, human beings are sort of bundles of incredible contradictions, right? That we can kind of be afraid to sort of be seen in front of people and also want to be seen. You know, it's yeah. endless amounts of contradiction in any one person, and I'm no exception. But, um, so I had grappled with that a little bit in my 20s, but there... A lot, what a lot of people will say who are musicians or actors who then have to do public speaking is that there's something about public speaking that is uniquely exposing. I know that I'm not the only one who feels like she can get up in front of an audience and sing, but that getting up in front of an audience and speaking, giving a speech, feels like something somehow different. And the whole experience of preparing for it, um, writing the speech, trying to figure out how much personal information to divulge, gearing up to, you know, the traditional TED or TEDx talk, this is true of both of them, is that it's supposed to be 17 minutes, you know, that's the kind of classic you get, you don't have, you're not supposed to speak for more than 17 minutes, but, you know, in an ideal world, you're speaking for about 17 minutes. Um, and most people, some people do use podiums and notes, but for the most part, they're kind of extemporaneous speeches. You know, people prepare and they get up and they give their talks without notes and they don't use podiums. And that was the part that really had started to kind of freak me out a little bit. So my sister, thank God, who has a lot of uh, training with public speaking, we happened to be together shortly before the, the speech was going to happen. It happened shortly after Thanksgiving. And I just was completely melting down. I mean, I was having 
really, truly like full blown panic attacks at the thought of, of getting up and speaking in front of people. And she suggested that I get a podium and use my notes. And I was really nervous to do that at first, because that's not the way that those events, it's not normally what you see when you see a TEDx talk. But I kind of realized that she was right, that I just did that had to happen. There was just, I just, I, I couldn't remember 17 minutes of a speech from beginning to end. So in the end, I kind of advocated for myself and got a podium and they said that it was fine, but I had to bring my own. So I joked that it was like, you know, BYO podium situation. But so in the end, it all sort of worked out. But you're definitely right. The sort of like vulnerability that you picked up on and the part of me that was not nearly as comfortable speaking in front of other people as not only other people other speakers can be, but even the women who were there that day, like I, you know, for anyone who's ever seen it, Mama Gina was speaking that day. She gave her TEDx talk the same day. And I don't know if this part is in the final video, but she was brought onto the stage on the back of like six men. It was raucous and just like unbelievably <laughs> fabulous, you know, like just sort of, you know, soul level fabulousness. Yeah. And for me, I, you know, to this day, even though I've since had a lot of public speaking training, I look at women who do that kind of stuff. And I just think to myself, like, I can't, I can't even really imagine feeling that free, you mm -hmm. know, there's just a, a freedom that she clearly feels to draw attention to herself and make a scene. And it's not, it's hard for me to channel that part of myself, even if she's in there somewhere. Yeah. So just... It was hard enough just to get up there with your notes and the podium and then... Oh, terrifying. Yeah. Oh, terrifying. Yeah. I mean, for anyone who watches it from beginning to end, I started mm -hmm. tearing up at the end and I was saying something that was was emotional for me and it was true. But what I like to joke with people about, and this is also true, is that I started to tear up because I was just so fucking glad it was over. <laughs> I like, didn't I know that. Yeah. I was tearing up because of the content when I first saw it. Yeah. yeah. Some people will be like, oh, I was so moved. Like yeah. at the end when you started crying, I'm like, yeah. I was crying because it was over. I was just like, <laughs> You're like I'm free. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Just wanted it to be over. And then afterwards I went and I got a couple years worth of public speaking training, like two and a half years to three years of public speaking training with Toastmasters, which was truly, truly like life changing and transformative for me. And then I gave another speech at Google, which you were in the audience I was in the for, audience for that one, I know. Which is such a fun thing for, to think about. <laughs> um, but, and then that day it was just completely, it was just night and day. Like I felt so much more in my skin and so much more grounded and so that the investment that I made in the form of public speaking training was really invaluable for me. But um, what I love about this example is that it's such a clear representation and also a public representation of how you can develop the muscle for being more comfortable speaking in front of people. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that it's, I think not only is it a skill that people can, can attain, um, and can cultivate within themselves. But I think it's, there's just, uh, God, what, how do I even put this? Kind of endless amounts of possibility where that's involved, right? That even if it's scary or even, it feel, even if it feels difficult or impossible, that it's something that people can learn. Do you have an early memory of when you first felt like you couldn't use your voice or you felt stifled or shut down? You know what I will say is that I think rather than using any one individual example, I think what feels more comfortable for me to speak about is just the idea that 
you know, there was somebody in my life growing up, there was kind of a one to two key figures that sometimes gave me the impression that my, my needs and opinions were less valuable and important than the needs and opinions of people that were larger than me when I was small. And I think, you know, it would be hard for me to even think of one example just because there were so damn many of them. Because I know that, that it contributed to why it was so difficult Definitely. for you to get up there. Definitely. And speak about the content that you were speaking about. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even the content necessarily. It was more, as we say in the world of psychotherapy, it was more process than content, mm. which is just to say that it wasn't sharing the information that I was sharing that was difficult for me. It was being seen in that way, right? It was, it was feeling like I could stand up and use my voice and have it be heard, and to believe that anybody would want to hear something that I had to say, or even to believe that it was okay for me to be using that voice. I mean, I think one of the things that feels really difficult about my own personal life is that I know that no one meant, no one had the intention of ever making me feel like my needs and opinions were less valuable than other people's. That was nobody's goal, (laughs) Uh, at least not consciously, right? And it wasn't anything that anybody meant to do no one was trying to hurt me it was just a message that kind of got transmitted Mm -hmm. and I think that there were there were a couple of people in my life when I was growing up some you know adults when I was a child that that sort of managed to convey the message that that my voice wasn't entirely welcome So I think it would be hard for me to sort of say one particular example without divulging somebody else's confidentiality. Mm -hmm. And that's what feels a little bit tricky here. There's a funny irony in not wanting to speak (laughs) about the circumstances that took your voice away, right? And I'm very aware of the irony that's kind of inherent in that. Mm -hmm. But I think that to, to sort of to share a specific example or to name names would feel like I was muddying something that I'd like to make clean, you know? Like it's, I think in some ways, what actually happened is less important than the fact that it did happen and the fact that I have overcome it. And I think that, I think the circumstances in some ways were not even that unusual necessarily, you know? There's a kind of a mundane or kind of quotidian factor to the fact that I think so often for children and for female children in particular, they get the message that, to be seen and not heard. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I've encountered that with other people too. Yeah. That there's a respect to the privacy yeah. of these moments. And that's why it can be tricky to process it through. Because if it's a wounding moment, mm-hmm. you need to like heal it and speak about it. <laughs> but with respect and honor for yourself and for the people involved. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Like, and I totally respect, I, I think that's just worthy of mentioning. Definitely. Um, cause honoring your truth doesn't necessarily mean speaking out. Definitely. Or yeah. naming names. Yeah. Right. You know, like the way that I sort of think about it within my own mind, it's kind of like the joke of the, you know, a movie that is made that is based on a true story. And it's like, you know, the names and, places have been changed to protect the living basically right and I, I don't actually feel like I have to name names or tell specific stories in order to get my point across one thing that I will share there were specific types of 
just emotional abuse that I grew up with that specifically took the form of making me feel like I shouldn't be speaking or that there was something wrong about the way that I was speaking. So for example, it's funny how it's actually easier to share something that's current. Mm -hmm. But the same person that, uh, that played a role in taking my voice away when I was a child, even though she's not, I don't see her as often anymore, she's still in my life, there's still a certain amount of exposure. And to this day, I notice that she has a tendency to criticize the way that I speak in real time. So for example, I can say something sort of seemingly innocuous, right? Like, um, oh, you know, I've never liked key lime pie. And she can be like, oh, never. It's just so, what a strong word to use. So dramatic, right? And I think to myself as an adult, it's kind of like, the fuck is the point of even saying something like that to somebody, mm -hmm. right? Like it's not, uh, the statement that I'm making is so innocuous that I don't know why you would bother to sort of criticize it or try to make me feel like I'm saying something the wrong way or the words are coming out of my mouth in a way that's displeasurable for you, right? And, but that person has been in my life since I was a child. And even though I think there are a lot of things that I can't even really remember anymore, I have a feeling that my childhood was replete with examples of things like that happening, places where I was made to feel like, there was something about the words that were coming out of my mouth that were wrong. They were coming out, you know. You had to be really careful. Absolutely. And like an extraordinary like... amount of criticism and judgment, yeah. right? Specifically around speech. Yeah. And so it's very funny for me as an adult because I know myself well enough now. I have sort of just enough sort of self-awareness to recognize that I'm not kind of a particularly inarticulate person. <laughs> you are hyperverbal. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah. I was raised to believe that a lot of times when I opened my mouth to say something, that it was coming out wrong. So you think about something like that, right? And, you know, just as a psychologist and as somebody who helps other people to kind of unpack their story and figure things out and to kind of see the connection between the past and the present and what we think about the future, you know? I mean, I when I look back, because it was December of 2011 that I got up to give that speech that had me, like, literally having panic attacks, you know, it wasn't that I was afraid, I think, to divulge anything in particular. It was just really terrifying to to open my mouth and to be heard mm -hmm. and to and to kind of to fathom the unlimited number of opinions that people could have about it right I mean I think that's one of the things that's really hard about standing up speaking out standing in your truth being seen being heard you know my brain all of a sudden automatically goes to Emma Gonzalez right the Parkland student who's been so vocal and I look at her she seems 18 years old or something like that and I think my god like clearly you have not had the same experiences of having somebody kind of, I mean, I don't mean to make assumptions, mm -hmm. but it's the, you know, part of being seen and being heard is being okay with people having opinions. And people hating you. And people fucking hating yeah, you. Yeah, and that's what is so viscerally, to me, it seems the tipping point of being like, this issue is a big enough deal to me that I don't care if people hate me totally and if it's if my words are misconstrued totally because it's worth the risk of trying to just reach a small percentage of people for the sake of having the truth land definitely yeah. definitely I think that that is 100% true and part of how I think about it for myself as well 
is just getting comfortable with really truly not caring what other people think mm -hmm. because the older I get the more I realize that me tr truly enjoying my own life from the inside out you know living within my own skin you know day in day out having you know sort of um enjoying my own experience as much as I can it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of me mm -hmm. you know other people's opinions of me are ultimately not any of my business but I was raised to care very much what other people thought like in a lot of ways I think my survival was dependent upon caring what other people thought of me and it can be very hard to shed that yep yep yeah. That's something I th that I've learned is a very big part of white culture. <laughs> Ooh, say more. Um, that's part of how white supremacy lives, of not rocking the boat, of mm. keeping things polite, of valuing formal education over life experience, of valuing... It's like the whole keeping up with the Joneses. But it's part of of muting mm -hmm. behavior to have it be like kind of homogenous or Definitely. to have it be peaceful mm -hmm. when underneath it you're not able to be yourself you're having to stifle things yeah and it's like don't be too loud don't take up too much space don't act that way don't say that thing why do you want to wear that why is your hair that way you know um definitely all of these little things that say you won't be accepted you won't be safe you won't belong you won't have protection if you don't comply into this way of being. No, I think it's kind of brilliant. I think you're spot on that white people have a way of even policing one another that way. Oh, absolutely. You know, that not only are, are We're the white, worst with each other. Definitely. Yeah, and yeah. even women definitely. are the ones that keep oppressing other women's voices. Totally. Big time. Mm -hmm. And that is where we see this across many different cultures around feminist issues. Where, as an extreme example... Like in sex trafficking, women are are usually used to to create trust and bring other women in, and then, you know, they're being controlled by the pimps or by men. Oh, That's why women are the tipping point. Totally <laughs> right with that, and and I know big time. Like when I speak up, the women that are closest to me are usually the ones that are the most critical. Wow. Yeah. And I think it has to do with. I mean, I notice my judgment of other women, other girlfriends I have of like, you really need to filter that before you blast it on Facebook. Wow. You know, I notice within myself, like that judgment of like, you really need to be careful about your, I mean, it's a balance. Like your words are so powerful. Maya Angelou talks about this all the time. Dr. Maya used to talk about this all, all the yeah. time of like your words, they stick to the walls and they stick to the furniture and you need to be very vigilant about what comes out of your mouth and what comes through you, there's an energy to it. She talks about how there's this example of her, you know, scolding a younger black man for calling his friend the N-word. And she's like, that word is poison. It doesn't matter what bottle it comes in, mm -hmm. it's still poison. Mm -hmm. So words are important, but judging, shaming other women ourselves is uh criticizing is, containing it's yeah. amazing the role but yeah, absolutely yeah it's not a cut and dry thing um and i notice it within myself i notice it of me towards other people i notice the other people towards me but my point is is that usually women we are the most critical of ourselves and of each other and that we're the most oppressive of ourselves and each other i i, I totally dig that idea yeah yeah my next question okay 
Do you, do you remember anyone growing up that was a great example of owning their voice or that inspired you like with the boldness or authenticity in which they lived? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, thank God I've had um, people to show me the way. And actually one of the first people that comes to mind far and away is actually my sister because she's always been really good at owning her voice in a lot of ways. And I actually am just thinking about things a little bit because I, I don't necessarily imagine that it's always been easy for her or that she never had any misgivings or reservations or it's, it's not like she never lived also with people that that you know told her to clam it but I think that there is just this there is a freedom that she's always had um to speak her voice and to be seen that has been super, super, super inspiring for me. So much so actually that I don't necessarily know. I don't, I have no idea what I would be like if I didn't have her in my life, but I wouldn't be surprised if actually the part of me that wants to give TEDx talks or Google talks or be interviewed for podcasts, like would that part of me even exist if I didn't have her as a role model? Mm -hmm. Like I think that she's helped me a lot to kind of come out of my own, to come out of my own shell. Um, so she's been inspiring me since we were kids. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. What a gift. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Do you recall if, like, what was a key thing that helped you in the process of getting to the point of doing your TED Talk? Like, what was the, one of the key things that you learned preparing for that? You know, that actually is a hard question to answer mm -hmm. only because I don't know. I think one of the reasons why that whole situation was such a disaster for me is because I think some of the things that I needed, I wasn't getting. Mm -hmm. I think in some ways it's easier for me to speak about things that I've gotten that have been helpful for me since then. Okay. And then. some of the things that I think have been helpful for me in, in other ways. Like, so for example... Well, I ask for people okay. who want to get better at speaking. Right. Right. And want to also conquer that fear. And it might not be, you know, on a TEDx talk stage or a Google stage, but it could just be at a family dinner <laughs> or in a, in a social setting of like, okay, what was maybe one of the, the big ahas that you got from preparing from that or after that? Yeah. It's know, more, I think things I've learned since then. Okay. And I do have a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. I think that, so first things first. Toastmasters in and of itself was extraordinarily helpful for Toastmasters? me. Toastmasters? Yeah, okay. Toastmasters. And it's something that I highly recommend. It's extremely inexpensive. It is all over the globe. It's like AA, right? You can find Toastmasters meetings, you know, in every city on this planet. Um, and even some small towns, you could create a chapter in your community if it doesn't exist. And it's just the model of it is super brilliant. Partially because what it does is it gives people the opportunity to speak in front of other people again and again and again and again and again. And I think that repetition with this kind of stuff is invaluable mm -hmm. because there are other things that I want to speak to in terms of what I think is actually helpful for reclaiming your voice. But none of those things are ever going to be as helpful as something that creates a sense of repetition, right? Because ultimately what I can say as a psychologist who knows about some of these things is that 
what you really need is new experiences that disconfirm your old experiences, right? So if you ever had an experience in the past of your voice being taken away in some way, shape, or form, if you have new experiences that make you feel like your voice is welcome, <laughs> that cr literally creates new neural pathways in the brain. So it's not to say that it's all about Toastmasters, but I think one of the reasons why I wanna bring that up is because it lays some groundwork for being able to talk about how people can have those types of experiences in other settings. So for example, one, I think anything that people can do to kind of disconfirm their preconceptions, right? If you have the idea that you are not good at public speaking, that you're, there's no space for your voice in the world, you kind of owe it to yourself to find anything that will disconfirm that assumption, right? Or to try to disconfirm that assumption in as many ways as you possibly can. And you can do it by putting yourself in a, a healthy, stressful situation yeah, where you're supported to face the discomfort around this fear. Definitely. Yeah. And I would actually even say we could back it up a step and say that even prior to putting yourself in a situation that feels uncomfortable, because this is another piece of the puzzle, is looking for, for places that are exceptions to the rule, right? So for example, this is a, a little bit more of a... Um, newer learning for me in some ways, but it's really valuable, is thinking about any place in your life where um, what you believe is not true. So for example, what I mean by that is if public speaking is difficult for you, is it easier for you to have a conversation one-on-one -on -one with a friend? What about having a conversation one-on-one -on -one with a friend is easier for you? Can you maybe write a short speech and deliver it to an individual friend that you feel comfortable with, right? It's basically like, what is the easiest, smallest step that you could take to, to make things easier for yourself or to make growth possible? Because growth really does happen in so many ways. It happens incrementally and it can happen, sometimes it happens kind of exponentially, but it still happens incrementally, right? Yeah. So... So I think, for example, one thing that I was noticing about myself recently is just a funny little piece of self-knowledge, a little bit of insight that, that came to me, is that no matter how often I've been in situations in my life where I felt like it was hard to speak up, it's funny to think that I've always had places or zones of kind of comfort in my life where, you know, I never felt this way, for example, when I was just talking to friends. And similarly for me, any kind of academic environment has always been a place where I felt comfortable, like raising my hand, asking a question. That's just my, it's just sort of a weird quirk of my life that I think my nerdiness in some ways overwhelmed any fear that I had about using my voice. So anytime that I've ever been in school, I've always been like the kid in the front row asking questions, raising her hand and that kind of thing. And I, it never bothered me because it never occurred to me that it was public speaking. <laughs> and I actually think that it can be really valuable for us to look for exceptions to the rule in our lives, mm. right? If public speaking is hard, like is private speaking easier? Mm -hmm. What about it is easier, mm -hmm. right? Like what specifically about that makes you feel more comfortable because you can use that as a resource that you then bring into an environment that feels more challenging, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Those are some of the things that I think of. Yeah, so Toastmasters. Toastmasters was huge. And then noticing where you're comfortable speaking. Mm -hmm. And the whole intention to just back up a step is one to like know yourself, to have self-awareness and emotional intelligence so that you can then go out and speak up when something collectively or socially 
this is my intention anyways of this, mm-hmm. is so that you can be able to speak to what feels unjust or off or whether that's at a parent-teacher meeting, whether mm-hmm. that's at a family reunion, totally. whether that's or at a social justice rally, like doesn't really matter the scale that we feel, and I include myself in this, as fully expressed and aligned and authentic with who I am. Exactly. And so that I can embody that going into various different spaces. Definitely. And then depending on the space, the variables in the space depends on how comfortable or contracted, how at ease or kind of constricted and oppressed, really. Definitely. And I notice different spaces, it's quite stark as to how comfortable I feel. And my goal, and my intention, is that I get to fully be myself wherever mm-hmm. I go. And I know that other people have that intention as well, and desire, and the, just the freedom to fully be yourself. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm so yeah. on board with that as an yeah. idea, and I think one of the things that it makes me think of is that, because... In some ways, there's so many different pieces to what you just said, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's there sort of is the insight piece. There's also what I would call being in rapport with yourself, right? Which is just to say that you kind of feel comfortable enough in your own skin because you know yourself well enough that um, there's just that bit of self-knowledge, right? And one of the things that it makes me think of, actually, is that I, I do sincerely think for my... For I, I see this for myself, and I also see it in the work that I do with my clients, is that individual therapy or, you know, good coaching can be invaluable where this stuff is concerned because, first of all, there's even just opening yourself up and being heard by one individual person. You know, that that singular element of... I'll just say psychotherapy for now because that's... Even though I, I, I do coaching and I love coaching, psychotherapy is kind of my home base in so, so, so many ways, but, um, you know, I just, there is something singularly revolutionary about opening your voice and having even one person really hear you and really see you and really know you over time. And it's amazing for me, since I am, I'm, you know, a specialist and working with women, you know, 90% of the people that I work with at any given time are usually women. And it's amazing to see this play out in my clients' lives where there are so many places where they self-edit or they don't feel comfortable speaking up, at least in the beginning, right? And it's through the process of having me listen to them and having me honor their voice and their opinions and their perspectives on things that next thing I know they're going out into the world and sharing their own voices, you know, with abandon, right, so to speak. So I think there's something really, really powerful about individual work in that way. Absolutely. I think um, it's easy to think, oh, no, I need to get all of my... I need to heal all of my wounds. I need to get all of my shit together before I go out and make the kind of social change I want. Yeah. Um, which I've also learned is actually kind of a function of, of white supremacy or of whiteness of like, you need to be at a certain caliber before you go out. And that's not true that you can actually do it simultaneously. And that when you change one thing in an environment, it actually can change the whole environment. And I think that's what we're called collectively to do with the kinds of injustice that we're seeing socially. So it's like, okay, we need to like know ourselves and love ourselves and have a level of awareness around what needs healing Mm -hmm. so that we can take a stand for ourselves. And in doing that, Somehow, like Maya Angelou says this again, Dr. Ah. Angelou, like anytime a woman stands up for herself, she somehow 
stands up for a woman everywhere. Oh, I love it. I didn't... Oh, I love it. Yeah, oh, even if it's a paraphrase. Yeah, we'll that do. was a paraphrase. Yeah. yeah, so I guess that's just what I want to reiterate. You don't have to be perfect to go out and cause social change. And you don't have to be perfect in your own personal life. Not that that's ever attainable, but... But it's, but it's a process and it's a practice and it's like anything with repetition and consistency and commitment, you can get better. Well, something that, something that makes me think of as well, and this is really important for anyone else who's trying to find their voice in the world is I think it's really important to, to let it be okay for things to not come out perfectly. I think we put up, we put so much pressure on ourselves and I know that I am no exception to this rule. I put a lot of pressure on myself to... Um, and we know where this comes from now, right? But, like, a, a lot of pressure to sort of say it the right way, to do it, to have it be, you know, elegant. I have struggled in the past with a lot of fear of kind of getting up, saying something the wrong way, having it come out as sort of inarticulate or something like that. Everything in life, when we do it enough, it gets easier and easier and easier. And so often in the beginning, it kind of feels like jumping off a high board, right? That's something that I'm a really big just advocate of in general, is that feeling that whenever you're really up against something that feels sort of insurmountable, it's like the first time it feels really hard, but then it gets easier and easier and easier. So sometimes in the beginning, when we're needing to get up, use our voices, speak out, that kind of stuff, it's not always pretty in the beginning. Yeah. It's awkward and jerky and kind of messy and... Oh my god, yeah. yeah. I can even remember the first time that I had to say something in Toastmasters. crazy looking back at this for me where I had to get... The, you know, a lot of what they do these things where you go in circles and people have to say things. Like it's like two minutes at a time. You have to be able to just like speak for two minutes on any topic. And I remember the first time that it was my turn. I was just like a blubbering mess. Thank God I still went back the next week and tried again because mm-hmm. then by the time I was, you know, by the time I left the program two and a half years later, I was in a completely different place yeah. than when I started. But it's just sometimes it's sometimes it's ugly in the beginning. Yeah, sometimes I think it's... that's why sometimes in just getting to the starting line is mm-hmm. a victory. Like just considering, yeah. yeah, that you could. I hope it's okay that I'm cursing, something. by the way. Yes, like a this sailor. is an adult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes it's um it's like starting is half battle. Like what's the phrase? It's like showing up is 90%. Yeah. You know, and it's so true. It's yeah. so true. In working with your clients, you mentioned that you know, just having starting with one person, mm-hmm. sharing your thoughts, your intentions, how you think and feel and what you want with one person can be just be life-changing. Mhm. Is there anything else you want to add that you've learned from your work, specifically with women, that you think might be helpful? You know, where my mind goes with that mostly is just to say, I think something I've, I've learned over the course of my career that's really powerful to me is just that the greatest change usually happens unconsciously, which is partially why we learn so much from doing Right. So, for example, uh, there are a lot of different people that have said this in different ways, but there are kind of quotes about psychotherapy, for example, that are that are like, um, you know, talking and generating insight is something that just it gives us something to do while the real work is happening, Mm -hmm. which is just to say that the real work is happening kind of at unconscious levels. Mm -hmm. Right. What the real work is having a reparative experience. 
the real change, if you are afraid to speak up and use your voice, change occurs when you use it anyway and when even one person listens to you, right? Mm -hmm. And that's actually why I think that things like Toastmasters are so important or sort of doing anything, forcing yourself to do anything that feels like it's pushing you in the right direction. The reason why that stuff is so valuable is because of something we call neuroplasticity, right? Which is just to say that's really actually a terrible phrase. It's really confusing than the notion that the brain is plastic, because I don't know about you, but I think of plastic as being a pretty hard <laughs> substance. Hard, but fixed, like no, totally malleable. Not yeah. malleable, yeah. right? Which is actually bizarrely not the way they mean it. What mm -hmm. they mean to say is that it can sort of, you know, that it is malleable, that the brain, that the brain changes a lot when it learns and is exposed to new information and does things that are outside of its system of habits and that kind of stuff and kind of slowly but surely and then exponentially you know the brain changes when we put it in an environment where it's able to be different right and that can be literally anything mm -hmm. it can be talking to a therapist if you feel like nobody else is listening it can be talking to a friend if, um, you know, I'll tell you a little trick that I learned from Toastmasters that's really fun and I've actually played this. My boyfriend and I went through a phase where we would do this sometimes with each other just because it's fun, is you set the timer for two minutes and one person asks the other person a question like, um, tell me what you think about Martin Luther King Jr. You set the clock for two minutes and the person has to answer the question to the best of their ability, not using the word like ideally as much as possible or what they call clutch words, which is just to say, you know, um, and like, you know, you'd want to try to kind of not use those words and you need to just speak for two minutes until the clock runs out, even if it means sort of pivoting and eventually talking about something else, right? So let's say you don't know a lot about Dr. King, but maybe you have opinions about the Black Lives Matter movement. So you choose to talk about that instead, but you have to speak for two minutes and you just have to kind of run out the clock being ideally as articulate as you possibly can be for the amount of time that you, and you can just do that with a friend, you know, and sort of go back and forth set oh. it for two minutes. And, you know, you don't have to do it in front of other people if you just want to learn how to use your voice. Yeah. You know, I remember when, um, I was traveling quite a bit and I didn't really have friends around <laughs> and so, or ones that I could talk to at that level. And I would be <laughs> upset about something or like grappling with something. And I would talk to myself and have a recorded conversation. And this girl I encountered, she's like, you really shouldn't tell anyone that you do that. But it helped me get it out of my head and get it verbal. I into words, you love, know. <laughs> I love that you did that yeah. and I love that you're admitting that you did yeah. that and I think that it's even, that's a perfect mm -hmm. example. So if you like, don't have a friend, you can even start with just like you your phone and record just like this is really upsetting and I just give myself five minutes to get it out like I'm talking to a therapist. Totally. And then, and then I listen to it a little bit later and I'm like, wow, Em, you're like really trip. Like it gives me a different perspective on my own self. Very cool. Yeah. No, that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. right? Which is just to say that, like, anything, anything matters. You mm -hmm. know, anything that kind of stretches you outside of your comfort zone. Anything that, you know, anything that pushes the ball forward a little bit. That gets you moving out of the spinning. 
out of the like being paralyzed and spinning. Definitely. Yeah. Or anything that just gets you out of the mindset that it can't be done, it shouldn't be done, it's not possible. It's You're not it's, ready, you don't have the right words, you don't blank enough. It's okay for yeah. other people but not for you somehow. Literally anything that gets you out of that mindset, you know? If you just talk to a friend for a little while, does that reinforce for you that there's a place for your voice in the world? Mm-hmm. Like anything that disconfirms that assumption that you somehow should shut up and sit it out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I think that if you can, you know, whatever the next step is, I would sort of say start wherever you are and depending on how serious you are about it and depending on what it is that you want in your life, you know, whether it's going to Toastmasters or trying something that kind of, you know, kicks things up a notch or even just going to lectures, forcing yourself to ask a question, you know, when there's a Q&A, forcing mm-hmm. yourself to ask a question, or you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. anything. Yeah, one of the um, Sahar Paz, I interviewed her, uh, I don't know, a little bit ago, and she talked about how putting yourself into stressful situations, but in a way that helps you grow, so mm-hmm. that you can see how you react, so whether that's going to the front of the yoga room, yeah. or um, she talked about, like, joining a a dance performance group and that she was absolutely terrified. Like she could feel her nervous system freaking out. Yeah. Um, but you learn how to, to then find ground yourself and find center and move through it. And that expands your ability. And like you were just saying, the neuroplasticity, you're totally in- improving that. And I think that's also like what is essential to keeping us. And by us, I mean a collective humanity yeah. from shrinking as we age from becoming really fearful of change and of leaning into the discomfort. Like Brene Brown says, you can't have comfort and courage. You can't have comfort and change. Like Definitely. it takes courage in order to change something. And so finding little ways to gently lean into the discomfort for the sake of your growth and for the sake of the kind of change you either want for yourself or collectively. Hell yeah. yeah. It reminds me of the phrase, like, do something every day that scares you, yeah. right? And I'm a big, I'm a big believer in that. It's been very interesting for me to sort of look back at my own history over time and to kind of see how things have built upon themselves, you know, that it was doing one thing that was scary that made doing the next thing less scary. Yeah. And, uh, and I see that in other people as well, all the time. See it in my clients' lives, see it in my friends' lives. Like, it's, it's all a work in progress. Yeah. Yeah, and I think also, too, one of the reasons why this stuff can be really hard for people is because they compare themselves They compare themselves to other people or they set their standards at such a level where they kind of assume they should, you know, have been born with certain skills or abilities or they should kind of be coming out of the gate in a certain way and it's just not the way things work, right? Every single person, um, you know learns and grows and does and learns by doing and that kind of stuff. So for example, something that's really inspiring for me is anytime I see somebody who, uh, sometimes I'll, this has happened to me a couple times in my life where I've had the privilege of watching somebody, uh, somebody's career when it's a little bit earlier on and then watching them grow. And obviously my sister is a really good example of this because she's in the public eye and I have known her since 
before she had braces, you know what I mean? So it's different, but like, um, it's interesting to think that there are other people, like there's a, a commentator on MSNBC named um, Crystal Ball, and I met her long before she was a television personality, and it's just, it's interesting to watch people's careers grow. Like everybody, everybody is a work in progress. We are yeah. all a work in progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think if you just embrace where you are and embrace the next stage of your learning, there's no telling where you're going to be in five years, 10 years, mm -hmm. 20 years. So and I comparing think always takes you out of the game. Definitely. It slows it. So it's comparing our insides to other people's outsides. Yeah. Right? Like my we have friend, no idea where someone else has come from, what they've gone through, what they, what all the internal variables totally. that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. My friend has this little sign next to her mirror. It says, to love is to not compare. And I love that so much. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. such a good place to have it in like a house full of women. <laughs> says, to love is to not compare. Beautiful. Yeah. One of the things, you know Mama Gina, Regina Thomas Howard? Totally. She encourages women to practice bragging. Okay. And bragging, it's like owning your talents, your gifts, being proud of how far you've come. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, what is something that you are most proud of? Oof. Such a good question. About yourself, your life, where you're at now, what you've overcome, what you've worked through. You know, there are a couple of things that I can think of, but the thing that comes to mind the most is just that um, I am really good at my job. <laughs> <laughs> and I love knowing that and believing that and, and sort of embracing that, you know, like I am really good at helping people. And that's not to say that I have never, you know, psychotherapy and coaching, it's tricky stuff in the sense that it's not to say that you can help every single person who knocks on your door. Um, and that's always kind of a tough blow, I think, to kind of come across the people that you feel like you can't help because they're not ready or it's not the right fit or whatever the case may be. But most of the time, if someone sort of is like, ringing my bell, being like, can you help me? It's like, yes. And I'm really good at my job. It's so great to hear that. I love it. I yeah. love hearing women say that. <laughs> like, I am really great at filling the blank. I love it. Totally. I, want I love, yeah, I love And it's not in work. a diminishing other people's way. It's no. like in a way that like helps like, I'm really good at this and I'm really good at this. And so that when you have permission to take up space, it can give other people permission to take up space. Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. So. And it's very cool just to be at a point in my life and a point in my career where I can kind of see, because so much goes into it, right? Like so much learning and so much doing has gone into me getting to a point where there's just a, like an enormous toolbox that makes it so that no matter what it is that somebody's struggling with, I'm like, you know, like, I got something in here for you, you know? So, like, that, yes, something I don't mind bragging about. Gratitude is a practice that yes, elevates our joy mm -hmm. and helps us go out into the world and just radiate mm -hmm. joy and peace. Indeed. And so I'm curious, is there anything you're particularly grateful for that you'd like to share? 
I am grateful for so many things and I am a big fan of gratitude practices in general. It's something that I have been rocking in my own life for a long time and I think anyone who knows me well, I almost can't help but laugh because I'm like, if anyone who knows me well listens to this, they're going to be like, oh God, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bring on the gratitude. Literally. Yeah. Literally. So I... um Maybe top I, three things. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I think in some ways it's so funny because I'm sort of I'm dorking out a little bit because I'm kind of like, I'm most grateful for my gratitude practice. (laughs) You know, just meaning that like, you know, it's not even the things itself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I feel very fortunate to live where I live and that's always, you know, I, I think about what I'm grateful for pretty much on a daily basis. And there are times where I think about it more than others, meaning that like I have personally definitely made Thanksgiving the high holiday of gratitude for me. And I know that it didn't actually, you know, it's come a long way since what it actually represents. And we won't get into that except that's for another podcast. That that's another, yeah. it's another podcast for yeah. another time, yeah. but let's be real. Yeah. But I have just chosen that for me, you know, like I like to focus on the, the things that I'm thankful for, for Thanksgiving. So there are all of these pockets throughout the year. New Year's is a big time for me. My birthday is a big time for me, but I'm, I think about it on a daily basis, you know, what I'm grateful for. And where I live is always at the very top of the list because I, I'm just very grateful for my home. I'm grateful not only that I have a home, but I'm grateful for the fact that I live in San Francisco and I, I have created a home that is very cozy for me and is a very nice place for me to kind of go out into the world and do what I need to do. You know, like I've made a nest that's very pleasing for me. And I'm very happy for the and thankful for the beings that exist in my home, which is to say my, my partner of nearly 10 years, Christopher, and our 13-year-old French bulldog is <laughs> like the love of my life. And I am very grateful for the fact that I was born at a time where, as a woman, I was able to go to school. And it's amazing, I get choked up mm-hmm. even saying that and thinking about that, but I just... I'm crazy grateful for my education and the fact that I've been able to do the work that I do Mm -hmm. by sheer nature of the fact that I was educated to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's crazy to me that uh, women throughout history have been prohibited from going to school and that there are women on the face of this planet still that don't know how to read and... Mm -hmm. You know, there's just, you know, you want to change the world, educate a woman, right? So that's something that I'm crazy grateful for. But I will just say that it's it's a uh, defining feature of my life that I think frequently about the things that I'm grateful for. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want your legacy to be for? What do you want your life to be for? When all is said and done, what will now be present in the world because your soul was here? Oh, it's such a good question. Kind of, a couple of interlocking things on that one. Um, you know, my, my ultimate goal on this planet is to help people to see their lives in the, within the context of the things that happened to them, right? Which is just to say that um, we are all products of the lives that we live and we're often made to feel um, like something else is the case. And by that, I just mean that 
so for example, if somebody has mental health problems, that it's a chemical imbalance, or and I'm not saying that, that, that's, that that's never the case, or that like pharmaceutical agents are never helpful for people, but I think based on everything that I know and have learned and even lived through, I think that human beings are remarkably social creatures and exist within the context of their circumstances, right? So for example, like one phrase that I love is, um, i sort of paraphrase this a little bit, but if something is wrong with a flower or a plant, you know, you expose it to more sunlight, you give it water, you make sure that its soil is nutrient rich, but you don't blame the flower and make it feel like it's broken, right? Like we are all extremely contextual That's so beings, beautiful. Yeah. right? Yeah. And I even think about that for myself, right? Because there was a period of time in my life when not only did I have less of a voice in the world, but there was a lot of anxiety attached to that, right? It's hard, it's hard to exist in the world when you don't feel like you can speak up for yourself and say what you need to say. and um, Or know your needs or know what you need or know how to ask for it or know where to go to get it. Yeah, yeah speak up. and like, yeah. yeah, you know. Um, and I just see some of the growth that I've experienced in my own life because of my own therapy and a lot of other kind of just growth practices that I have been engaged in. And I also, there's a tremendous amount of academic knowledge that would support my belief that people change in unbelievable ways when you give them the opportunity to grow. That is probably the number one thing. I really hope that by the time I exit this planet, that I have helped just a few more people to see that if something is happening in their emotional lives that they're not happy with, that there's that change is possible and that growth is possible and that the problem is not that they are broken. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Final question. Mm -hmm. Do you have a wish or a prayer for our country or the world or the planet? I would say that my number one prayer is that the good people of integrity that have been uh, kept out of positions of power for far too long will start to take over here and course correct the entire planet in so many ways, right? You know, I think in some ways the wrong people have been in power uh, speaking very broadly, but I'll, I'll clarify what I mean by that. The wrong people have been in power for far too long, but right now there's, there's just no better example than what's happening right now, right? We sort of are living in a time of epic greed where the people who are in charge are so misguided, right? There is just no excuse for this warmongering that's going on and treating you know different peoples from different countries like they're the enemy you know nuclear proliferation and there's just there's like a lot of bad stuff happening on this planet right now and there is no reason for any of it right if we had spiritually minded people of integrity in charge we would be living on a completely different planet there would be equality and there would be justice and there would be just less bad stuff happening. It's not necessarily even to get so 
utopian about the whole thing. It's not like I necessarily imagine living on a planet where nothing bad ever happens, right? But I think that if we had people of integrity in charge, there would be fewer bad things happening. Mm -hmm. And my, my prayer for the planet and all of the people on it is that we can sort of unleash the power of the people that have been holding themselves back so that they can do their work without fear of toxic repercussion. Beautiful. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Thank you for having me. It's yeah. been invigorating. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for letting us learn from your life and sharing your wisdom. Thanks so much, honey. Thank you so much for listening. Again, that was Dr. Leslie Carr. You can learn more about her in-person and online programs at lesliecar.com. That's L-E-S-L-I-E-C-A-R-R.com. If you have a story to share or an experience that helped you find your voice, I'd love to hear your story. Please go to she'sher.com and click on the button that says share my story and sign up for our newsletter for updates on the latest releases and opportunities to connect. Tune in to the next episode. More inspiration, wisdom, and insight is on the way. Until next time, standing in our collective liberation, be well.